You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on RBMA Radio. You're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. We are here today with very special guests, Magda and Mike Servito, both very old friends of mine. They just spilled out of a cabin into the studio. <laughs> we've got donuts, we've got booze. We're going to have a good time. Um, they're going to do, you guys are going to back-to-back? Certainly. So they're going to be doing some back-to-back. We're going to be asking some questions. We also have TV Arthur, special unexpected guest in the studio. So anything could happen, folks. We're going to get right into the mix here. Again, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.
large flat surface on the top of it, which during the 80s people used to tell me that it was uh, used largely for cutting cocaine. Primarily, you'll see a number of buttons that if I press on them, they make the sound of drums. Here's bass, and here's snare, here's hand claps. So if I now press the record and play button simultaneously, I will hear a metronome, and that's clicking uh, two measures of eighth notes in common 4-4 time.
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. We've been in the mix with Magda and Mike Servito, live in the studio. Also joining us at Analog Tomorrow in Brooklyn. Longtime friends. I've known both of you for a very long time. Um, maybe we should start by talking about where and when the two of you met. That's what we were trying to figure out we're, earlier. We're trying to figure <laughs> can't that remember. out. And the cab ride is impossible. <laughs> I think it was at a party. Well, you don't know the exact moment, but well, you know the general era. Well, everyone always told me, you have to meet Mike because you guys played the exact same records. So this <laughs> went on for about two years. And yeah, then finally... We were, we were playing the same parties, um, but we were never actually playing. We, we never got booked at the same time. It was always one or the other but for the same people. So um, it was just a matter of time before we connected and played together and kind of bonded instantly. <laughs> so this was Detroit, like what? what 96, yeah, 95, around 90, 96, somewhere around there. Something okay. like that. Mm -hmm. But Magda, you said you were living in New York in 96. No, 97. 97, okay. <laughs> Ooh, we're trying to Ooh, bust we, you. Yeah, yeah we, totally. were tr we were trying to get some timelines straight yesterday um, and figure some... We mildly got there. Yeah, we kind of, we figured out that Gel and Weave, which is a party that Magda did when she lived in New York at Open Air, and I was the, the booker at Open Air. And that's, that's right. That's how I met Magda, and we couldn't pin it down exactly, but we're thinking 99 to 2001. Yeah, that Probably sounds about right. Probably for a year in there somewhere. Uh, you had Plexus and Troy Pierce as residents. You brought in, that's how I met BMG, Servito, Daniel Bell, John Tejada, Zip, yeah. Sammy D, mm -hmm. and the Cabaret Law. Oh, yes. So this was, yeah. No dancing law. That was my favorite, to have that light bulb in the booth. Yes. Flashing red, everyone stop dancing. Yeah, we no had, one move. We had, we, had a little, yeah, we had a little light switch by the door, and the doorman was to flick the light switch on and off if the police had shown <laughs> up, and that would tell the DJ to bring the volume down, and then a bouncer would run through the club and make sure everybody stopped dancing. <laughs> it's funny. You know, it's such, it's such different times, but people don't think that was real. They don't think that it. Oh, yeah, it people was talk, real. People talk about it a lot. Like they can't believe it, but we like I. I lived that, and that was not only real. I mean, that was. I mean, Theo Parrish played there. Mm -hmm. It was basically APT, Open Air, Backtune, a few small places like this, Sullivan Room, where all there were essentially bars where the techno culture was happening in New York. Yeah. There I mean, weren't there. There were big clubs, but it was aside from maybe. Jeff Mills and Houghton, occasionally a surgeon or somebody. There just really wasn't a lot of techno in the big clubs. There was, there was ARC, which was the first time I played in New York with Magda and Rich and Sven. You did? You remember? ARC? Wow. Yeah, that was my I first. don't remember that. What? <laughs> that, was, uh, one of the, that was my first, first time playing. That's the first time I played after like taking a long hiatus. Magda just said, come to New York and... Um, before Jalen Weave, I think. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I came for like a week. And who, who knew? <laughs> Servino remembering and, the things um, that I remember. else in the and room we, remembers. We actually, we, we played together in the smaller room all night, um, like 10 hours or something. Oh, Ark was, <laughs> Ark came after Arc Twilo or Ark came after Vine? Ark was. It was massive. It was Twilo, I think. 
Really? Did it's it like, turn into that? I think Twilo became Ark, or did Vinyl become Ark? I'm, uh, they, 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 all these clubs had this. 2002. Similar. It's post 9/11. I remember. Ark. And it was very strange. Well, if it was post 9/11, like I, I'm pretty sure that Gel and Weave was over by 9/11. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So that would have been first. I think you played one of the very first ones. It was all within the same because I came to New York that summer or that whatever that time frame is. I was here like every other month. I, I came that one time and then I was obsessed. Oh, my friend's saying online that Ark was vinyl, not Twilight. Oh, okay. that okay. place. Okay. Yeah. Mystery solved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that was after. Interesting. That was, was not, it? Yeah, that was after Gel and Weave. That was after Open Air. You played one of the very first Gel and Weaves. I remember. I think but... we either we brought in Zip or somebody and then Magda was like, uh, and put Mike Servito on the flyer. I was like, who is that? Do we have to buy him a flight? She's like, no, no, no. Just <laughs> he's gonna, just put him on the flyer. I'm like, All right. I swear it came after. <laughs> nope. I don't believe you. I'm to my words. I really no, really, because the first time I came here, it was like a big it was a it was such a big party for me to have not played at all up until that point. That's why I remember it so well. Well, why had you I think your facts are wrong? Why had you not been playing? I just like, I was, you know, I kind of was I took my little break, I was done, and then, you know, Magda pulled me out of the abyss, slowly. <laughs> the abyss. And it, Get him out of know. Detroit for a minute. <laughs> Why did you enter the abyss? Was Detroit just getting you down? Was DJ no, culture getting you down? No, it wasn't really about Detroit. I think it was just about, I think it was just about, like, the scene at the time, and um, just kind of hit bottom. It was, was kind of, it was. It went through a lot of highs and lows. Yeah, it went through some really dark periods, yeah, I feel. Yeah, that's for sure. And I was in the midst of it. <laughs> like dark and dark and druggy? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty drags. Mm. Dirty yeah. drug Detroit. It was, yeah. Um, and also musically, I was just not, I I mean, I just wasn't inspired. So, you know? so what were the parties you were playing together when you were in Detroit? Do you remember the names of any of the parties or the promoters? Well, we both played to we both played for our friend Dean Major, um, who passed. Um, how long ago? Two years now. It's been a few. Anyways, years, yeah. it was a good good friend of ours, and he probably was like the pinnacle of um, of party culture and rave culture in Detroit. Like he threw massive massive parties with everybody from Derek Carter to know um terry mullen um just like pretty much everybody and he really kind of shaped um you know a lot of us magda derek plus like go myself um a handful of detroit people were behind him and um he was just a very pivotal figure in in um party and that culture. was that was the, around the time when the, there were no clubs really, mm -mm. so everything was either an illegal party or a big warehouse. So I, I think around '98 was the first major club. Yeah, when that was opened? Mo Motor? Motor yeah. yeah, so that really um, turned everything around. Also, um, I mean, it was literally just underground parties or St. Andrew's Hall. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. And were they... Three floors of fun. <laughs> <laughs> were these, like, crazy parties that went really late that were happening? Yeah. And then, so the club culture obviously would have really changed that because clubs can't stay open yeah. late. I mean, these parties we speak of are, you know, parties that were, you know, the infamous Packard plant and the Bankle building and various 
various um, locations throughout the city. Some some insanely dangerous. I don't know how we yeah I don't as know kids either. we're hanging out in these super shady places, but we were and having the time of our lives, staying up till, I mean, till the next day. Yeah, I mean, I've I never <laughs> I wasn't in Detroit then, but I've seen pictures of the Packard plant and parties happening there, and it's kind of hard to believe what you all got away with. Like how insane. Yeah. I mean what people consider a crazy, dangerous, even warehouse illegal party now, it's just No, that is the next level <laughs> back then. Yeah. I mean I remember once storing an after party, which probably would have been in the mid two thousands storing it was Dempf then, it's movement now. And I went into a skyscraper. It was an abandoned skyscraper. And I, I think they just illegally took over a floor of the skyscraper and Dan Bell was playing in a room with one light on him and just we were all enormous there. stacks. We were there. That party? Were there. Yeah. I remember being like, yeah. where's the bathroom? And someone was just like, there's no bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. more than, I mean, the whole building was abandoned, like right in the middle of downtown. Yeah, no one's using the skyscraper, mm -hmm. so we might as well. But I mean, I remember there just being, there were giant, holes in the floor that oh, people yeah. could fall through and things That's, like that and no, nobody was even phased by any of this it was just like yeah we're just the just, usual just step yeah. over it. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no light there was like one light on dan bell's head and no other light <laughs> yeah lots of booby traps <laughs> um so you came to new york a couple times magda pulled you out of the abyss yeah. uh and then what then you, I mean, at some point you moved well, to New York. The interesting thing is that that whole summer I was coming to, to New York every, every so often, like literally every other month. And we just so happened to run into Derek, who was working for Richie at the time, Houghton. So we kind of, we kind of had this exchange and I hadn't seen Derek in a while. And he, he was all, oh, have you talked to Sam Valenti? They're thinking about doing this party. And that ended up becoming a party called Untitled that we did with our friend John Ozias. And Untitled was kind of the next step for me. Um, it was me and Derek, Matt Deere, Tad Mullenix, and later on Ryan Elliott. And we played together for three years, every week, every week. Um, and everybody was just kind of, and from that crew, was just emerging then, right? Like it wasn't... I mean, yeah, Matt had just put out a bunch of stuff simultaneously um, on on Ghostly and Spectral was launching. Um, he had a record that came out on Perlon. So Matt was definitely like already making that move. Tad as well was already making records. Um, but for the rest of us, me, Ryan and Derek, I mean, we were just full on, you know, DJing, buying records every week. So that, that really kind of spawned the next step for me and it never really stopped until I moved to New York and that was kind of the next small hiatus for me. What year was that? Well I moved here in 2007, end of 2007. So it took at least a good year or two before I really kind of got got on my got on a regular like DJ schedule. I mean it took a while but again it was like bits and pieces of gigs um, 2008, I ended up going on a on a European tour with Magda. Um, so after that, I went to Detroit, and that was my first No Way Back. 
And after that, it just kind of, you know, it, it got the wheels spinning. So Yeah, I kind of remember in that Galapagos era when the bunker was still weekly, you would play the bunker once or twice a year in new york yeah. you would play kiss and tell for seza once or twice a year right. in new york and then the rest of it would be like that first two he's, years he's playing at kendra's barbecue and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that first you know that first year was tough I, I moved here with literally with like a crate of records a box and a half of records and i was shopping a little bit but not a whole lot that first year was really rough i was completely detached maybe going to the bunker you know, once every three months. I really missed out on that first year. I think it was kind of, it was just surreal to be in New York and living here. And, you know, it was really just about working and going home and maybe slightly depression. Like, you know, I was living in Queens, so. And actually what's funny is that Derek Plesleko was living about 10 minutes away from me unbeknownst to, to either of us for a good year. <laughs> How did really? that happen? I, we just never discussed where we lived. It's so silly. That seems like impossible. Li- almost a year, <laughs> I swear. I'm like, wait, where do you live again? I'm like, I swear that's right by me. Yeah, because Derek, I mean, I just remember Derek constantly complaining when he lived in that apartment that he didn't live near any of his friends and nobody ever wanted to come hang out and he had to come to Williamsburg <laughs> to hang out with people. Yeah, that's the other thing. It was a total <laughs> trek to like, you know, I mean, half the time I would come to the bunker I would go home at like, I would have to leave at like three and then I'd wake up and I'd miss my stop. And it was one of those things, waking up at the end of your line. Luckily it was only like one stop back to my house, but kind of scary. (laughs) Yeah, I used to come home from Magda's Jill and Weave parties at open air. I would always ride my bike to work. And then after work downstairs at open air, they had happy hour and that was always my friend's party. So I'd start drinking then mm-hmm. and I'd drink through gel and weave and then <laughs> I would gel and weave my way across the Williamsburg bridge oh my on my bike like 4 a.m. Pretty lucky I survived all those Friday nights, honestly. So risky. <laughs> Those were fun times. They were all fun the, times. All the, uh, yeah, gel and weave was really fun. I um, mean, Magda did. You also did a bunch of parties in that era in New York, um, in Williamsburg. Do you remember? I do remember. <laughs> oh yeah. Those ones on Fifty Nine Canal. Fifty Nine Canal, and then there were these <laughs> ones mm-hmm. in Williamsburg that looked over the Williamsburg Bridge in that loft building. Do you remember that? It where was I lived. House. <laughs> no, not that one. The one where you lived in Rich's apartment was uh, further Oliver, north. Oliver. Yeah, yeah, at yeah Oliver's yeah. place. Yeah. Those were crazy. Those were super fun. Yeah. I remember you had tracks there on New Year's Eve. Um, there were a bunch of cool parties there and like often cool after parties in Williamsburg after. And that area, the area was so desolate. I mean, literally nothing. Nothing there. Nothing there. It looked like Detroit. A wasteland. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. That's South Williamsburg now where you can rent a one bedroom apartment for $4,000. Exactly. A studio. A studio? <laughs> Not even a one bedroom. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe you can get a one-bedroom in Williamsburg it's for 4000 It's a little crazy. So a lot has changed in New York. A lot has changed for the two of you. You're both international DJ stars now. I'm working on it. <laughs> They're both looking at me like, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's strange because we've Pretty... known each other for so long, but our paths are totally... They're different. I mean, Magda's... She's been a veteran for like so long now playing... All over the universe. Ooh. And for me, like the whole traveling thing, it's, <laughs> it's fairly new and I'm still trying to figure it out, but I'm enjoying it. 
It's I don't know how they all did it for so long. I, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, the little bit of touring I do, I don't. I have a lot of respect for both of you. I was broken in pretty well by Mr. Houghton. <laughs> Almost broken died. In on how, the, like literally, broken, literally, literally broken yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I made it through that first tour. Insane. So you you toured with Houghton a lot. Like that's kind of what really kickstarted your DJ career. He just he just took you yeah. on as his opening DJ essentially, yeah. mm-hmm. which was. Very traumatizing, exciting, traumatizing. How was it traumatizing? <laughs> I almost quit techno ten times. Uh, um, just from the sh- the stress of it, the travel. Well, I mean, you know, he was Richie Houghton and playing all these different countries, huge parties. The music was really different back then, and I've always played more stripped down. I didn't even own any hard techno right so i had to open and somehow make it work and just felt like an alien most of the time right <laughs> you know with thousands of people just staring at me <laughs> like what what what's going on right well how did this happen how did this uh, relationship like form between you and rich um we had some mutual friends and then we met at a party called hotbox which was a really cool loft party in detroit um, in the 90s. Was it literally a hot box? Uh, yeah, but it was nice. It was like Kenny Dixon and Theo Residence, Rick Wilhite. This is like on the regular. So that whole era of um, partying was really, it was. It felt very like adult and very proper and mm-hmm. really just there for the dance. And it was, it was, inc- I don't know, it was a really incredible time for Detroit. And for music, mm-hmm. and we were we were spoiled, you know, getting Theo Parrish on the regular, getting Rick Wilhite, getting Kenny, like all of them on the regular. Were Kenny and Theo mm. and these guys playing outside of Detroit on the regular at this point, or were they they essentially local DJs? I think they were. I think they were. Um, Kenny and Theo, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure how often, but. Um, but you could catch them on the regular at very small intimate parties in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's it's crazy. Yeah, that's spoiled. Cuz we all know like seeing a DJ in a small intimate room, especially in the city they're from and really comfortable is mm-hmm. always a completely different experience than seeing them at a club, which is a completely different experience than seeing somebody yeah. a, on a festival stage. And that whole era too, like those were all after hours, like those went late. You yeah. know, so that was another you know. But also what I really liked is um how everyone went to different parties. For example, you can hear Theo and Kenny at a hot box, but then go down the street to hear Lacar and Ectomorph, um, you know, at an electro party, and then go to an underground resistance thing. Yeah, and it seems like we keep coming back to the fact that these these parties that you were coming up on in Detroit went like late. They were mm-hmm. all night parties, mm-hmm. which is not. It's not completely missing in Detroit now, but it's, there doesn't, from what I understand, there doesn't seem to be a lot of it. There's, you know, on Movement Weekend, of course, there is. <clears throat> uh, but otherwise, it seems like, what, things are, the legal venues close at two to four in Detroit? Yeah. I mean, I was in Detroit on, um, like, the weekend of Halloween, playing for for Brendan and for IT. And there wasn't after hours, and it was. It felt. Um, I don't know. I just. I got really nostalgic because you know we were out and it was like five in the morning, and the place seemed super sketchy, <laughs> but like it was exciting because 
it was there and I hadn't seen anything like that in Detroit since the 90s. So like the energy of that feeling of like being in a, being in a like, I, it's a legal venue, but I don't know how they go late. People in Detroit always seem to have some tricks up their <laughs> sleeves as do. far yeah. as figuring out like the one little loophole that lets them they keep their venue open. Um, yeah, but we, I mean, there was pe- there were still people piling in like at you know four, five, six in the morning. So nice. It was it was uh, a nice surprise. Yeah. So bringing us up to modern day, you guys reunited and did a back-to-back set at Deck Mental Festival mm-hmm. in Amsterdam mm-hmm. in, was that August? August? Yes, August. Um, Completely improvised. <laughs> that was, And that was the first time you played, you had played together before. Yeah, but a long like time 15 ago. Like, years before. On a comp- When you were both playing vinyl, yeah, like exactly. completely yeah. different. Mm-hmm. And you you planned nothing for the nothing. Deck Mental nope. set. Nope. <laughs> So we <laughs> we tried to get together the night before, and but then we had to remember. Don't worry about it. I'm sure we still have the same taste, even two decades later. And sure enough, we yeah found a the, lot of the same the records. Yeah. it worked. A lot of people raved about that set. You can actually hear that set on SoundCloud. I think it's up. It's right? really you know. Oh, I won't say anything negative, but it's kind of quiet. <laughs> so you have to really turn it up. You have to really turn up that okay, mix. Go to SoundCloud. Know. You're allowed allow to say that. It's yeah, okay. search for Magda Mike Cervito no, and crank it, it. It was yeah. It's definitely a fun set, and for not having played together in 15 years, and not planning anything or talking about anything, it, it just <laughs> that kind of cohesiveness. It was really natural for us. Were you? So supposed to get together and plan something and just didn't or we well, were but we, we're virgos so we tend to be slightly you know, perfectionist at out, times spill out of the cab 30 seconds before the radio uh, show that starts. as well <laughs> yeah i mean that's how we roll that's called that's virgo time actually the, i think the last time i remember playing back to back with you was trying to make a mixtape at my house which is actually in, Detroit on, in the 90s which did happen <laughs> we had to re-record like 12 you times you have or to something. keep starting over the yeah we did that mix at Rich's studio, which is no. actually online. <laughs> no, but the one in my house, remember that one? You probably don't remember. Oh, I think that was like a <laughs> anyway. well, recording straight to cassette. Yeah, it was straight yeah. to cassette. Yeah, <laughs> all my early mixtapes are straight to cassette. I yeah. never even thought of a different way to record yeah, a mix. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a cassette deck, it records. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the levels, they're not in the red, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally how it was, um, over so- a bottle of vodka. <laughs> So do you have, aside from, obviously we have tomorrow night, you guys are going to play back to back tomorrow night? I Is that happening? Do we talk about this? We didn't, let's hash, but... Let's hash it out on the air. Yeah. Are you guys playing back to back tomorrow? I'm down with that. Yes. Okay. So that's <laughs> yeah. happening tomorrow at Analog in Brooklyn, along with TB Arthur and myself. More info on that at thebunkerny.com. And speaking of TB Arthur, we have him here in the studio. And, um, There's no party I won't crash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from Newark Airport to Red Bull headquarters. Exactly. Still beat Magda and Mike here by a good 20 minutes. Michelle got me a slice of pizza. Such a professional. Unbelievable. And he had a slice of pizza on the way. Wow. Wow. Um, so, Magda, you you two have been in the studio together recently. Yeah, and we have. have. You have a release. Do you want to um, tell us about the release? Is that out yet? 
No, I mean, we just recorded actually also with uh, Brendan from Ectomorph. Okay. Right, um, week before last. I still have to digitize the tapes. I know. They, we just recorded Real to Real. That's right. So and we just had two days, but we all went in there, brought some, brought a bunch of gear, and it kind of worked straight off the bat, right? Well, exactly. The, yeah. The first, which was nice. The first Blotter Tracks uh, EP we recorded together, the idea was I think we talked about how we were going to yeah. do it, we we're going to multi track mm-hmm. it, and then I think sometimes in electronic music you're plagued with too many decisions so we said fuck it let's just do it live and we recorded live to quarter inch tape and um, performed and then the idea was it was capturing our performances and you were rocking a system 100M and I was playing all sorts of boxes and we edited it and that became the first Blotter Tracks release. I had never actually recorded that way and it was so much more enjoyable and exciting and you know, well, it, it, captured, <laughs> it is what it is. That's it. It's That's live all you got. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And no, it was it was super fun. It was great atmosphere. And yeah, we made some pretty adventurous tracks. And we were like, <laughs> "Fuck it, let's release it." And yeah. it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, week before last, BMG, who in a way introduced us. Um, yeah, he and, did. Yeah, and because I licensed um, uh, your first TB Arthur tracks for a mix. I was right. freaking out over those two records. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and So he was the hookup on that. Yeah, so Brendan's like, oh, well, that's my friend. And he's your neighbor, actually. He lives around the corner. Okay. So I'm like, so oh, he completely okay. Outed okay. Me. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> yes, uh, it's, that's right. So he, uh, he connected. So Brendan was in Berlin. Uh, yeah, week before last, we were recording in the studio. And... Uh, Magda came down, and it was like three kids in a candy shop. We were just it playing was, and playing and recording. Well, yeah, it was really, really inspiring. Caught on tape. <laughs> so do, are the tapes, they're edited before release, or you just you cut out the best bits, or do you read? It, it's a really funny work. There's a mastering engineer from Berlin, Rashad Becker, and a couple mm-hmm. of years ago I was working with Rashad, and Rashad's, I noticed his setup, and, and Rashad said to me, it was kind of limited and he said you know the thing about like elect- he liked hardware and and he said the thing about electronic music is there's too many choices and i totally agree i mean i am old school i mean there's been a few myths spun around tb arthur but it is actually a parody of myself all the ups and downs and also the gear addiction in on two levels <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. i remember one of the first times i met you you were like i'm a roland freak like yes. I will buy, and I was like, okay, cool. And then we walked down <laughs> Bedford Avenue. We went into the little, what is it, Antenna and Me? Yeah, Mimi Antenna. Yeah, yeah. And next thing I know, you're like buying it. Was it a 909? It was a 303. It was a 303. Yes, Brian was actually with there was yeah, a 303 with TB in to purchase. Yeah, they have, yeah. they have occasionally used gear in there. And he was just like, that's a pretty good price. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. I was like, is this happening? <laughs> yeah, my credit card melted. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it's funny. It's like, I, I can't, like... I guess my background is like I come from playing instruments. I come from a rock background. And I think in the 90s, like, you know, I got caught up in techno and me and a bunch of my friends were lying about the records we used to like. I didn't know a lot about disco. I did know a lot about like New York No Wave and things like that. But for performance, it's kind of a natural thing. So I try to continue that. And like when Magda's in the studio, there is literally a quarter inch tape machine, a really good one. Um, and a reel of tape is 30 minutes. So basically we work on the jam, and when we feel it's right, we've got to record it in 30 minutes. And sometimes the jams turn into two jams during well, that Recently month. three. <laughs> yeah, we had three jams on a roll of tape and all sorts of stuff, so it's all live, and then we edit it afterwards. So it's, it's, it's a live performance. But are you editing by 
cutting tape with a razor blade. You're no, not doing no, that. No. You're not that. You guys aren't that crazy, <laughs> actually, right? Actually, I am not that crazy. <laughs> I, I, yeah, sometimes I have done that, um, but generally I tend to stay away from that. Uh, so you digitize it and, and then... edit it that way. Yes, it's 2016. <laughs> I have learned to accept that. Okay. So how is? Are they still making the reel-to-reel tape or? Yeah, totally. Okay. There's eight. Uh, it's it's funny. There's a guy. This is, is like for the two people out there that care. There's a guy in Na- in Nashville. There's a guy in Nashville, Tennessee. Hold on, I gotta get my pen. <laughs> There's a guy in Nashville. I'm gonna big him up. There's a guy in Nashville, Tennessee. He's a young guy. He's about 30. His name is Chris Mara, and he basically finds old tape machines from famous studios. He completely restores them with love. You can get them for a couple thousand bucks, which isn't so bad considering the money you can spend on gear, and they're perfect. Mine came actually out of the record plant, the studio in LA. He fixed it up. Uh, Whether it was used to dub a Fleetwood Mac record at one point, I have no idea, but it sounds awesome and there's just low frequency on it. He called me up and he's like, Jay, I got, a, I got a thing for you. It's You're going to like this. And I was like, why? And he goes, yeah, it's got this massive low frequency bump at 35 hertz. And okay. I recorded to that thing. And when I heard the playback, it was huge. So tape is a good thing. And actually, a lot of people still use tape in the rock world. So Yeah, I kind of remember at one point, this was a while ago now, maybe at least a decade ago, that like Steve Albini was semi-freaking out because they thought the big, one of the last tape manufacturers was going out of business. Yeah. That's why I was asking if they still actually They're in Pennsylvania, made... actually, yeah. enough, yeah. ATR. So they're, so they're still they're still producing the tape. Yeah. You don't have to, like, no. hoard and... Okay. No. You can still find it, uh, <clears throat> and but one thing you... Yeah, so it's... it's it, Tape is alive and well. Okay, very cool. Um, I'm so, just here for the sad nerd yeah. stuff. So... <laughs> <laughs> do you guys know what's going to happen from the session with BMG? Is that definitely going to be a release, or was it just hanging out? Oh, it's going to be released. I mean, I'm starting... I've started... Um, uh, some parties in Berlin called Perm, and right. I'm uh, s- starting the label as well next year. Um, so I mean, I don't even remember what we recorded, <laughs> 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 but I know I know that I liked it. So I'm really looking forward to hearing those. Um, I, li- I really like the 11 second clip that you I heard on Facebook. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, no. Um, so the plan is to definitely release um, something from that session on Perm. Um, yeah. I've got to get off my ass and digitize it. Digitize. Yeah. Magda's been texting. Have you digitized it yet? And I've actually got a guy I'm just, to I'm do just it excited is all. I, and you should be. Actually, I, I didn't have the heart to say, actually, I played it back and it sounds really good because I knew you'd just be like, fuck ah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Servito, you've been getting into the studio this year, finally. Mm-hmm. You've bit. been letting the world hear some of what is coming out of uh, you did the Cudmore remix. And that. another remix that I guess we're not going to talk about just yet, but there is another Servito remix coming out on the bunker oh, next year. Yes, possibly. Possibly. But not without help. You know, I'm still a novice, and um, it's definitely something I want to tackle in the future, but it's definitely, I, I find it insanely nerve-wracking. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Virgo. Well, it's cool to see you guys blowing up internationally, getting into the studio, reuniting, playing together. It's I think it's a good cool. time for that. I've been actually reconnecting with a lot of old friends from Detroit and even Berlin and New York. I feel like, yeah, everything has come full circle in a way. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people who've kind of been at this for a long time are like 
a lot of people, I'm not saying because of me at all, but a lot of people around me who seem like they would never get their due, like are getting their due left and right and playing Bergheim. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's something I didn't necessarily think I would ever see happen. It's, mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing to see it happening. Absolutely. I don't think anybody, I don't think any of us expected it. Like, no, past, I mean, like how two years, how everything can shift. And, you know, it just so happens it's, you know, they're also close friends of ours. And they've been people that have really put in their time and really know their stuff. Um, I, I don't know anyone that knows their music, like Derek Plesleko and Patrick Russell, Carlos Affront. Those are, you know, the core of like our youth and our, uh, we've all been in it together, even with Magda, like all of us, um, you know, we, we big nerds from the get-go going out every weekend and listening to music and it was like our uh, I don't know it was like our one thing that kept us going and after all these years you know that's 20 years ago mm -hmm. to uh, finally well. to finally get um, even just a little bit of attention from it is or get some recognition is really nice and also really nice to see in our friends as well yeah been at it for so long mm -hmm. yeah and i was i was talking with brendan about this this summer when we were we played knock digital festival together and he was like a year ago would you have believed that we'd all be playing even like knock digital festival together and then the deck mantle closing party and we've all played Bergheim this year and like even a, a year ago that all would have been hard played, for me to imagine i haven't played Bergheim yet <laughs> do you want to play Bergheim? <laughs> do you want to play downstairs maybe one day I don't know. I, I think I could, if I really. I, I know mean, you could. I mean, I you know, it's kind of tough because everyone kind of tends to pigeonhole you and put you in a box and say you only play this way or you only play that way. Right. Well, I know that all so, too well. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I mean, people have their preconceived notions of you, and that's fine. But I know there's definitely a whole other side of me musically that. Um, I don't actually get to like showcase so often, um, given whatever circumstance, you know. It's it, it it varies from party to party and from city to city. So sometimes you can't get so weird like you can in other cities. Right. That's, but, um, that's that was a very good first lesson I had from touring with yeah. Rich. Each country has such a particular sound of its own that certain things work, for example, in France, that would never work yeah. in Portugal, let's say. <laughs> yeah, I remember... I, I learned that the hard way. I remember Dan, Dan Bell telling me, never, ever play Kraftwerk in Germany. He's like, they yeah. just don't get it. They don't understand why you would play that in a club. They don't dance. They just stop. It's a <laughs> total party killer. It's like, what? <laughs> Kraftwerk? It's like, don't play Kraftwerk in Germany. Just trust me. Just That's don't crazy. do it. <laughs> they won't think it's cute. They don't like that. <laughs> All right, Uncle Dan. <laughs> Dan knows best. Okay, uh, so we are all going to reconvene tomorrow at Analog. Yes. You guys are yeah. playing. Uh, like I said, info on that at thebunkerny.com. Uh, also, info on the Romans album that's coming out tomorrow on the label, and that's the tracks we've been hearing in the background throughout this interview. Uh, we've got about a half an hour left here. You guys have some more tunes to play? I believe we can find some. Do you know what you want to start out with here? She's yeah. going to play Sunshine People. <laughs> Favorite. Mike's favorite. Mike's <laughs> Some craft work, perhaps. 
double cup of cuppies. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to start, Mike? Or? You can start. All right. Let's find something. Okay. So while you find something, we will, I guess we're going to fade out the Romans. And uh, what else should we talk about? Um... I don't know. You're going to mix out of the Romans. You, you didn't ask us about the music we were playing. Oh. What about I'm this music saying. you were playing? I heard some <laughs> some bleep beats, some jack tracks. It's good, right? Yeah. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, we just weren't talking about it because it was terrible, Mike. <laughs> okay. It was really, really bad. Okay, um, let's, let's you ready to go? Start with a, an old Thomas Brinkman track. Okay. Some Brinkman. Um, so we're going to get back into the mix with Mike and Magda here. You're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Bye. 
Listening to the Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Been in the mix with Magda and Mike Servito. Got about five minutes left here. They're going to be playing back to back tomorrow night at Analog Bunker in Brooklyn with TB Arthur and myself, Brian Kasnick. Uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, one more question for Mike Why didn't you eat any of the donuts? <laughs> we got two we just, dozen donuts. I had to I'm guess gonna, at the hospitality right. to them. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, smudge up all the all the vinyl. Oh, are they for the? <laughs> they're for the, the donuts. Are no, for we the, just honestly, we just came from lunch, so the donuts are for the after show. The, the donuts after show right. are for <laughs> three the minutes from now. Project. The private after show. All right. So we'll see everybody at Analog tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. I guess you guys have one more track here. Uh, This is The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.